when you release that love within your heart towards others, you'll feel the love towards yourself because you're being your best self. You're living your truth. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business, it's about contribution, it's about meaning. That is what we seek, that is what we truly want, and you absolutely are here to serve the world, and I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Hey guys, it's Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So today's episode is different. It's different than any episode we've ever done. This episode I am dedicating to my mother-in-law, Ruthie. May her memory be a blessing. She passed away a week and a half ago, and my husband and I and our family were doing a tradition called sitting Shiva. And at the end of those seven days, we had a, a chance to speak with Rabbi David Aaron from Jerusalem, who shared with us his thoughts on the soul and on this life and this world and love. And those were really the things that she cared most about. And so I wanted to share all of this with you. It's also the week of Passover. It's also heading into the Easter holiday. And I thought that having a conversation about love and about our soul and about why we're here and what we're here to do would be fitting for all of us. And since these were the things that my mother-in-law cared most about, I also felt that maybe she'd be smiling on this and feeling glad that we all were, were here to have this conversation. So if you don't know Rabbi David Aaron, he's already been on this show twice before. He is an author, an educator. He's a spiritual visionary. His books have been read by hundreds of thousands of people all around the world. And he really is probably the person who's changed my life most. He's also one of my greatest teachers. He has such deep wisdom to impart. I can't even put into words how grateful I am that he showed up on my path. So without further ado, please welcome the incredibly wise Rabbi David Aaron. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm good. You know, I have to just say, we we just finished sitting Shiva and, you know, it's so easy to look at the news and, and think that the world is made up of people who are maybe not so good, but boy, did I see such goodness. Um, and I always do, but just sincerity, the genuineness of, of the goodness of people. It's unbelievably healing to be around that. So today, first of all, I just want to say thank you to everybody for um, 
holding such a space for us. And, you know, it's hard to talk about you, Rabbi Aaron, without crying, but I can't imagine what my life would be like if I had never had this relationship with Rabbi Aaron. And I wanted so much to know why we're here. When I was growing up, I, I didn't understand why people wanted to be, become adults and grow up. It seemed really hard. It, it didn't seem like there was that much on the other end. And when I went to college, I just couldn't get enough of, of reading books. And I studied Buddhism and I became a religion major. I studied all the world religions. And somewhere along the way, I met Rabbi Aaron and I had never felt love like that and wisdom like that. And I was only 19 years old when I met Rabbi Aaron, and I wasn't the picture of who I am today. And in a lot of ways, I was really broken and lost. And, you know, he met me as this 19-year-old girl with my hair in a ponytail and tank top and shorts and trying to figure out my life. And he just kept calling me from Jerusalem to check in with me. And his wife was so loving to me, his family, his children. And I learned so much. And I continue to learn so much from him. And um, he told me once, he said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture is on his fridge and you don't have to do anything to earn that love. And so it changed my life. He told me, you know, you're a masterpiece, you're a piece of the master and you're needed. And I, I learned that I was actually a soul, not a body. And I learned that I was here to be needed and there's nothing like knowing that you're needed to give your life meaning and purpose. And my whole life, it was like a control alt delete on my life from that point on. And everything I do, I do to make good on what you've taught me so that I can give that to other people. So anyway, I speak to Rabbi Aaron almost every day. And that is such an incredible gift. And I say to him all the time, what can I do for you? And he says, I just want to love other people. So if you have an opportunity for me to do that, I'm always going to be there. You just say when. And so um, I thought, what a beautiful thing to finish um, Shiva with having him here. And the last thing I'll just say, which, which ties it together, is that Lowell and I only met because his mother in 2000 and somewhere around there, his mom said, you know, I know you love seeking and you love mysticism. And, and she said, there's a rabbi, he's a real Kabbalist and he's coming to speak in LA. You should come with me. And Lowell said, okay. And so his mom brought him to, to Rabbi Aaron's class and I was there and um, changed everything. So uh, Rabbi Aaron and Lowell's mom, you know, they were our matchmakers <laughs> They put us together. And then, funny enough, cute story is she was at that class, but I didn't really meet her there. And I wound up meeting Lowell after that class. And then about six months later or so, I was looking for an apartment and I went to this building. It's like a four unit building in LA. And I was looking at it with the landlord and this woman walks up to me and it was his mom, but I didn't know that. And she said, are you going to move into that front unit? I said, I think so. Yeah, I like it. And she said, well, I'm going to tell you something. The last few people who moved in there were women, single women. They all got engaged within the first year. She said, you're going to meet your husband. You should move in there. 
And I'm like, great. That's awesome. That's a good selling point, right? Forget the washer dryer. Like, that's awesome. So then Lowell walks up the sidewalk and he goes, Kath, what are you doing here? I said, what are you doing here? He goes, that's my mom. I go, that's your mom. That's so funny. She just told me that. And he's like, that's, she's right. I remember the last three girls who lived there all got engaged. And so it was, uh, we started dating like a few months later. So there you go. Um, so rabbi, we're here today to talk about the real stuff. And I asked Lowell, I said, what would you want to start off with since this is, you know, in honor of your mom. And you asked me something this morning that you thought would be a cool thing to start with. Do you want to ask him? Yeah, it's just a question of, you know, what's your view on what happens to the to the soul, like, you know, of a, of a person is it infinite and, you know, kind of what happens when somebody leaves, you know, this planet as we know it. Sure, great. Thank you. So first of all, Kathy, thank you so much for inviting me to your community. So let's talk about what happens when we leave this world. Well, so first of all, the teachings of Kabbalah explain that death is an illusion. You don't die. Now, it seems that people do die. I was just at the funeral. It certainly seems that people do die. Now, they leave their body. In order to understand how the journey from this world beyond, we need to know what a soul is. So a soul is your sense of I amness. And soul is, who were you before you got your name? You, as a soul, are like an actor or an actress that gets a part. And you come in this world to play a part. I'm not really Rabbi David Aaron. I'm a soul. And I was given a part to play Rabbi David Aaron. Uh, and the truth is, according to Kabbalah, you were actually shown your part. You were shown the scenes of the, so to speak, the, the film. And you said, yes, you saw the script. You said, yes, I want to play that part. And then you come into this world and you forget that you're a soul. You forget that you said yes to your part, that you embraced the script and knew that you could do a fabulous job playing that part. So it's kind of like an actor that is competing for a part in a film, and it could be a, a difficult part. It could be a, somebody who's, who's going to have a very challenging life in that screen. And, and, and when that actor gets that part, you can be sure the actor is incredibly happy. The actor is going through the script, and then he sees, wait a second, did I miss this? In scene eight, I die. Oh, I don't, I don't want to die. So the actor runs back to the director and producer and says, um, excuse me, there's a mistake here. I, I really can't do this part because I don't want to die. Well, what would they say to him? What are you talking about? He said, well, I see here in scene eight, you die. He says, you're not going to die. <laughs> you're going to pretend you die. And then you're going to get up and win an Oscar and then get another film. So the concept of death is as silly as an actor taking their part so seriously and thinking that they're actually going to die. When who dies is the character you're playing dies. The you 
our soul and you leave your body and you take with you the lessons you learned by playing that character that you played. And so the first thing that's important to understand is you're not going to die. You will leave your body. And I, I witnessed this. My, my mother left this world 17 years ago and I was by her side. And she had struggled with cancer for a couple of years and she had deteriorated. She was a soul that played the part of a survivor of the Holocaust. And uh, my mother played it to the end because in her last days, she literally looked like someone who was being in Auschwitz. And I was by my mother's side and she, she went unconscious and she started doing this deep breathing, this deep breathing. And suddenly I realized that I was not witnessing death. I was about to witness birth. And there was a point where my mother was taking these deep breaths. And then suddenly it was almost like, like a sour candy in her mouth. She kind of took her lips in and then left her body. And I realized this is not death. My mother, the soul, that played my mother, left her body. And when they came to do the burial, they picked up the body, one fellow from her shoulders and the other fellow from her legs. And I had assumed I would see a body sag, but the body was as straight as a log. And I said, wow. And it became so clear to me that you don't die, you get born. You born out of your body, you birth yourself out of your body. And that's the first thing I want to share with you is that, yes, the body dies. And when people say, well, where did you bury your parents? I say, I didn't bury my parents. My parents are alive and well. People think Rabbi Aaron's a little crazy. <laughs> and uh, no, but I didn't bury my parents. I buried their bodies. But my parents are alive and well in a different realm. It's so beautiful. I was, um, you know, Lola and I have been studying quantum physics and we spent a week with Joe Dispenza. And there's an idea in, in Jew Jewish tradition that says that the medicine is sort of put in the world before the, the, the challenge, that the thing that you're going to need to deal with this hard thing is actually created before the hard thing comes. And it's interesting that we were studying some of this quantum physics stuff before he was asked to then deal with this chapter. And one of the things that I've learned, Rabbi Aaron, I wanted to hear your thoughts on it is, you know, we used to think that the world was mostly made of matter, but now we know that the world is, is mostly energy. In fact, we now understand that atoms are 99.999999% energy and 0.000001% matter, physical. It's interesting, they've tried to do this scientifically and they find that in the atom, there's a wave and there's a particle and the particles matter and the wave is energy. And the particle, it's there and then it isn't so, so quickly and the wave function is most of what's happening. So it's just amazing to think that our world, right? physical reality, spatial reality, all of reality as we know it, we now know as a fact 
this world that's made of atoms is 99.999% energy and less than 0.0001% physical, but we focus so much on the physical and, and we give very little credence to the, the spiritual realm. How can we come to understand that and therefore live connected more to our soul than to our body while we're, while we're here? Well, so life is like a dream. So imagine you're having a dream and uh, in your dream, you're in a car and you're uh, zooming down the highway. Uh, imagine you park and you walk out of your car and you actually trip over the curb and you bang your knee and your knee starts to bleed. And then suddenly you wake up. Have you ever had a dream where maybe it wasn't such a pleasant dream and you started to think, hey, I hope this is a dream because I'm not enjoying this. I think I'm going to wake myself up. And have you ever been kind of trapped between waking up and still being in the dream? There's something about the dream that's pulling you back into the dream, but you want to pull yourself out of the dream. And then you wake up and then you realize that all the people and all the things that were so real were made of consciousness and Everything, all the time and all the space and all the people in your dream that you were, you thought you were in this space with these people, that space and those people were in you. That's what happens when a person dies. They wake up. Now, in our tradition, in our path, we don't encourage you to leave this world earlier than you need to because there's tremendous value in being in this world. But when it's time to go, when we mourn, we don't mourn the passing of a person. We mourn our loss of that person. We're sad that we're not going to feel them in our lives, but we don't go around saying, oh, too bad they could have been on this planet much longer. No, no, they're okay. They're okay. They woke up. You're still in the dream. You're still in this consciousness. And they've left this consciousness. So we are made of consciousness. And the table and everything in this room is really made of consciousness. And the truth is, everything you know, you know in your mind. There's no way of proving that anything you see in front of you actually exists outside of you. And according to, to the Kabbalah path, it doesn't. It all exists within you and within me, and within all of us. And when a person leaves this world, they leave this state of consciousness, then it's like waking up from a dream and you realize that the place and the time and the people you were with and the place and the space you were in was all in you. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when we, I meditate every morning and there are moments when in a meditation, I, I just feel so relieved, so light. The vibration is beyond the heaviness of suffering, of, of any narrative, of a story, of, of the separation of this world. This world is really filled with a lot of narratives and a lot of stories that kind of take us out of an open-hearted, coherent vibration, and they kind of 
pull us into something that identifies with an ego, with a separateness. And there's so much then that gets like weighted down. And once in a while, when I'm meditating, I feel like, oh, this is what the soul in its purest form, it's such a sweetness. It's a relieving feeling. And you can feel that in our most pure essence, we are, um, as the Indiari says in her song, like we are light, we are an extension of divinity. And I thought maybe you could talk about that because I remember learning that from you. And then the reason I think it's important is because again, we're all searching for who we are. Everybody wants that. And I, I don't think we, we've been taught or we understand how to align with that part of us and be in that vibration. So I thought maybe you could explain that a little bit. Sure. I think most of us, certainly when we were children, were introduced to God as somebody over there in heaven, somewhere up there, looking down at us and telling us what to do, requiring obedience, asking for praise. And I think as we get older, a lot of us will find that image of God disturbing. Well, the way the Kabbalah understands God is that God is not an individual being somewhere over there, but rather God is the universal self, that you are a soul and you are a part of what's called the soul of souls. That's what we mean when we say God. And that you and I and every other human being and actually all creatures are part of one shared self. And that's what we mean when we say God. Think of it like electricity. You know, in your room, let's say you have a stove, a fridge, and a light bulb. And they're all connected to the same self, and that would be electricity. When electricity flows through the light bulb, the power of lighting becomes manifest. When it flows through the stove, the power of heating becomes manifest. And when electricity flows through the refrigerator, the power of cooling becomes manifest. So you, let's say, your character that you're playing is a light bulb. You are the power of lighting, which is a limited manifestation of the electricity that you share with everybody. And that we're all on the deepest level connected to oneself, one soul. We are like waves in an ocean of consciousness, each and every one of us. And that's why only love is real, because love is the realization that even though I'm not you and you're not me, I might be the power of lighting and you might be the power of cooling and you might be the power of heating, but we're all manifestations, manifestations of this one energy, this one self, which is electricity. And we all know the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself. What most people don't know is the continuation of that verse from the Bible is, all there ever is, was, and will be, I am reality. There is only one I am. Which means that if there's only one I am, and you're you as an I am and I as an I am, arrays of, facets of, 
if God were white light, we would each be a different color, the spectrum of that white light. If God were the sun, we'd be rays of the sun. If God were the ocean, we'd be drops in the ocean. These are metaphors. But what's important is understanding is that when we say God, we mean the universal soul, the one I am that we all share. You know, I experienced this when I was a teenager because I loved, I still do, I love rock and roll. And I remember my first concert that I went to, I'm from Toronto, Canada. You probably don't recognize that because I sound like I'm from New York, but that's because I moved to Israel. <laughs> so I, I speak like a New Yorker. But I remember my first time at a rock concert, I was probably, I don't know, I don't know, I was a kid. And I turned around and suddenly thousands of people in the concert hall were light, lit a match. And I looked and I saw thousands of matches and I didn't have a match. And I turned to people next to me, excuse me, do you have a match? Do you have a match? And I got a match and I was so excited and I lit that match. And there was something so powerful about that. And that's what I would wait for when I would go to those concerts, when we all would light the match and we become one fire. And you think like, why would you want to light a match and feel so small? But you don't feel small. You feel so big because you let go of your ego and you become part of this one self, this one soul. And that is the search for God. The search for God is the search for love. Because love is a realization that on the deepest level, we are one. You know, imagine the universe like an inverted tree. And every single human being you meet is a leaf on that tree. Now imagine two leaves arguing with each other. And one says to the other one, you know, I don't like you. You're green. I don't like green. The other one says, oh, look who's talking. But they don't realize that on the deepest level, they share a twig. Okay, so we're part of the same family, but we can't stand the people next door. Well, actually, you're all really part of a branch. Okay, but our community, we can't stand the people on the other side of town. But you understand, they're all connected to a branch, and you're all connected to the same trunk. And in the deepest, deepest place, we are one. So love your neighbor as yourself is qualified when you realize that the higher self, the ultimate self, is the one self. And whether you want to call the one self God, it doesn't matter what word you use. What matters is what deed you do to realize and live this truth of that shared self that we're all part of. When a person dies... They don't die. They leave their body and realize in an even more visceral way that sense of that unified one self that they share with other people. It's so beautiful. One of the things I'm just remembering that Joe Dispenza said, you know why God is so hard to find? And this is what he said. He said, because we look, we're looking everywhere and the last place we choose to look is, is inside of us. And that's where God is. That's where the mystical is. The door to the mystical is right here. If you open your heart, if you just open your heart, it just echoes everything that, that you're saying. And I remember Rabbi Aaron, you, you told a story about how, because you were saying before, how really we sort of see what we 
are, right? So we could be sitting in the same room and we just have a different way of seeing the world. And like attracts like. And my grandma used to say, water seeks its own level. And so your vibration becomes a magnet for certain experiences and for certain feelings. And all of that begins a, a different kind of current, different flow. And you you told a story once that depicted this well about three people like sitting in a waiting room and how they live in different worlds, even though they're in the same room. I thought maybe you could share that so we could understand that even more. Great. Well, I want to distinguish between reality, which is the universal consciousness, the one self that was, is, and always will be, and, and is all that ever it was, is, and will be. That's what we call God. And you are a ray of, a facet of, so to speak, a part of, like Kathy mentioned, you're a masterpiece, a piece of that mastermind. And how you view reality you are looking at reality it's consciousness aware of consciousness and that's like like a dream your dream could be giving birth to images which are reflections coming from your self-awareness that is happening through your dream and so the world that you see is reflecting something about you and so two people can be in the same room but they're really they're not in the same room because what you see in this room, you know, you might be an architect and, and another person might be an electrician and you have different eyes. There's one reality, but how you view reality comes from the point of view that you're viewing reality. And we basically co-create the world we're in because the world is a reflection, just like, you know, in dream therapy, we go into dreams and we try to understand, well, what can I learn about myself in this dream? Why did I have this dream? Because on, a, on the highest level of a dream, a dream is like a mirror. And it's reflecting something that we're discovering about ourselves when we're sleeping. And so, too, the events in your life, the people that you meet every day of your life is like a dream, which is reflecting back to you something or giving you an opportunity to discover something about yourself as part of the greater self that you share with everyone. In other words, always ask this question, what does this situation teach me about love? Because that's what it means to know yourself and know God and know your connection to God. Because it's all about realizing that I am part of a greater self that I share with everyone. And what did I think today? What did I say today? How did I behave today? How did I see the situation I'm in today that enables me to realize more and more the truth of myself as part of a greater self that I share with everyone? And therefore, how can I not but love everyone? Yeah. And to relate it to my mother-in-law, whenever something would happen, she would say, know the truth. That's not true. Everything's one. Everything's God. Everything's love. And when she was given words of, you know, a diagnosis a few years ago, she just said, okay, that's, those are the words that you're using. I, I don't even accept it. That's not what I see. I never, ever one time heard her complain about anything. I asked her once, 
I said, Ruthie, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you want to live? If you could have anything, she goes in my apartment. I love my apartment. There's a tree outside my window. And um, yesterday I read that in the month of Nisan, which is the, the Hebrew name of the month we're in right now, it's the month of Passover, the month of this time. It says that there's a blessing you can say only in this month which is a blessing on fruit trees. And I said to my husband, oh, that makes so much sense that like in this time, because everything to her was a miracle and she outlived what the doctor said by miles, miles. And in the time that she was sick, if you said to her, how are you? She'd say, thank God, I'm great, I'm good. And she would tell me, I get up in the middle of the night praying, meditating, constantly seeking this wisdom constantly. And it was like, you know, people would say to them, oh, your dad, his dad died when he was a kid. That must've been so hard. Your life must've been so hard. And he's like, we weren't swimming in that. We were sort of swimming in gratitude and wonder. And it, it just goes to show that we, we get to choose sort of which vibration and which way we come into relationship with our life. And for her, it was completely genuine. Uh, she genuinely was happy and happy to be wherever she was and sort of always came back to that truth. And one thing I wanted to say to you to, to hear your thoughts on it, because, you know, in this, the journey of my life, I've met so many people and what comes up and you guys all know this uh, is a feeling of being a fraud. It's a feeling of being an imposter. It's a feeling of self-doubt. And people ask me often, you know, how are you able to sort of just like show up in your life and, and do things that take courage? And I say, well, I don't really feel like I'm, it's kind of not on me to do it. You know, like I just kind of get out of the way and see if I can be a vehicle for something, you know, much greater than me. And, and I, I noticed that along the lines of this imposter syndrome that people feel, there's also a lot of shame or feeling too big, or having too much. And the way I see it, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on this, Rabbi Aaron, but I see it, you know, that we are a, we are one, and we are a collective. And so if one of us rises and elevates our vibration, or, or has more resources, or more energy, or enthusiasm, or compassion, we just put that into the whole. And so this idea of imposter syndrome, it's kind of like, you know, who am I to do this? But I wondered if you could speak to that because it's a, it's a very common phenomenon. Who am I to do this? You know, it goes back to deep self-awareness, really getting clarity on the big question, who really am I? I am a soul. I am part of the soul of all souls. I am part of a soul that I share with the universe and I share with all people. And that I should feel uncomfortable with who I am is as silly as my right hand feeling uncomfortable for who he is and why am I not a left hand? And, you know, one of the plagues that eat people up is jealousy. But jealousy comes from a, uh, a deluded self that somehow you and me are not on the same team. You know, imagine you've got, you know, you're, you're playing basketball and there's a guy on the other team or a gal on the other team that's really tall. 
So you feel jealous that they've got that, you know, you feel jealous of their height as if there's something you could do about that. But if that player is on your team, you're not jealous because we're on the same team. And so when we feel uncomfortable with our blessings, it's because we have a deluded sense of self that this is my blessing rather than this is our blessing. And that I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for us. Because if I can evolve, then, you know, what? one of the images is, think of it as we're kind of climbing a mountain and we're all holding on to a rope. So if one of us goes up, we pull everybody else with us. If one of us comes down, we pull everybody down with us. We're that connected. So when we're in our bodies, though, and again, we're not antibodies, but one of the things about our bodies is that it gives off this vibe that I'm in this container, that I am self-contained, that I've got to save my skin. And I'm in here and you're in there. But that's not true. That's not true on the deepest level. You know, when you think about it, the only body you know is the body you perceive in your mind. So how do you know that your mind is in your body when it's more likely that your body's in your mind? Because the only body you know is the body you perceive in the field of consciousness. And so it goes back to who am I and why am I here and why are we here? We are here to realize our true self. And that is accomplished through love. Because love is a realization that you and I and everyone else, we're not the same. We don't need to be the same. But on the deepest level, we're all emanating from one root self. And, uh, you know, and somebody I, saw, I noticed there's so many chats going up. I happened to notice someone asked about the recent, you know, horrifying, terrible event of the shooting. And, and this is coming from a world of lost self. We don't know who we are because our spiritual path teaches that if while I'm cutting a bun, if I accidentally cut my left hand, if my right hand accidentally cut my left hand, would my left hand take revenge and cut my right hand back? That's crazy. And that's the sad thing. You see, the reason why people are hurting people is because those people are hurting. And that's what happens. It just goes on and on and on. People are hurting. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't have a deep understanding and appreciation of themselves. And so when you're in pain, you tend to afflict pain on other people too. But when you realize who you are as a piece of the master, a masterpiece, you begin to see other people as masterpieces. And then you would never, never do something as sick as that. But it all comes from not being evil. There's something worse than being evil. It's being deeply, deeply sick. Sick in terms of, I, I don't know who I am. I don't know why I am. I don't know what I'm here to do. Because we're here to realize ourselves as part of the one self, which is manifest through loving each other. It's so beautiful. And you keep bringing it up as like the thread that connects everything, which is love. And, and you said before, only love is real. And I've heard Marianne Williamson say that too. Only love is real. Everything else is, is not real. And one of the things that I think you gave to me, which is, I think, 
one of the greatest gifts you could ever receive ever is a knowing that you, you are loved unconditionally. And I think so many of us, the way that we saw love or the way that love was modeled to us, people believe that God doesn't love them. They, they have to earn it. You know, they're not good. I hear people say, I'm not a good Jew. I'm not a good Christian. I'm not a good this. I'm not good. I'm not good enough. And we live in this society where every day, if you don't post something fabulous you did on Instagram, you're just a waste of space. You know, like you got to earn it. You got to achieve something. And one of the greatest things about Lowell's mom, you know, Lowell, his dad died and he was in eighth grade and he stayed the course, got straight A's, AP classes. She didn't care. Like I said to her, aren't you so impressed? And she's like, he wanted to do that. I never told him to get good grades. He went to law school. I would have been happy if he was a barber. I don't care what he did. I loved him anyway. And she really meant that. She really, really meant that. And I, I remember when I met, first met her, I was like, I want to be impressive and interesting. And when we went on our third date, I was like telling him all these stories and, you know, filling the space. And he said to me, you know, you don't have to do this. I said, what? He goes, I like you. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I don't need you to be this interesting. I, I just like you. you. You must be tired. Like you could just sit there. I would, I would still like you. And I started to cry. I didn't even understand it. And then we went to somebody's house for dinner. And when we left, he said, you gave every person at that table so much. You asked them questions. You gave them you know, input. You helped the host. You, he's like, why do you do that? He said, don't you know that the people are lucky just to sit with you at, at a table? Like you could just sit there. And I was so mad at him that night. I wouldn't let him go to sleep until two in the morning. And I said, no, you're missing it. You don't appreciate me. You don't appreciate what I do. And he said, no, I feel for you. Like people like you and that's on them. <laughs> they either like you or they don't. You don't have to work this hard. And I grew up you know, being, you know, a lot of things to my parents, you know, I was like, literally like, you know, in many ways, a therapist and a cheerleader and my parents loved me very much, but I, I had a lot to do um, and I was praised for it. So when I met Rabbi Aaron, I, I couldn't believe how much he loved me. And then the way you taught me how much God was loving me. I remember one time I lived in Jerusalem for a couple of years and I became really religious. I wore long sleeves and tights and I did all these things. And I knocked on Rabbi Aaron's door and he goes, what happened? Your light is out. Where's your light? And I said, I don't understand. Don't you want me to be like this really religious person and wear these clothes? And he's like, oh my God, I volt. He's like, that's what you think I want? I, Whoa, something's really off no, I don't, I don't have an agenda for you. And, and he said, don't you know that if, if you didn't do anything else, do you know how proud, do you know how much God loves you? Do, do you know? And I said, I guess I don't. And I just started to cry. And he said, oh, you're done. If you did nothing else, nothing else good, it's to the max. And I want you to speak about that, Rabbi Aaron, because I just don't think people know inherently that they're loved and that they're loved unconditionally. I think that that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> I think one of the problems is that the Hebrew word that's being translated into the word God is 
that's not a good translation because for a lot of people, the word God is triggering fear and authority. And again, some guy in the sky that's got an agenda and constantly seeking obedience and praise. The, the word that was translated to God is the Yud, the He, the Vav, the He, which are Hebrew letters. And our tradition teaches that that word correlates to the attribute of Rachamim. Rachamim is unconditional love, meaning the revelation at Sinai, God said, I am unconditional love. That's who I am. And the word in Hebrew, Rachamim, is the exact same word for a womb. The Hebrew word for a womb of a woman is Rechem. And the way the Torah describes the human divine relationship is analogous to the relationship between a baby and his, her mother while in the womb. So a mother loves her child. She doesn't even know who this child is. You know, I, I don't need to know any bit, anything about you. You know, the baby in your womb didn't earn any love, didn't do anything right, is making you look heavy, actually, and you don't care. You just love that baby. You don't even know who the baby is. And that baby's kicking you inside and you just love it. Like, kick me more. You just love that baby because they are. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. But you love that child because that child exists within you. That child is a part of you. And that child is one with you, completely one with you. Love isn't something you deserve. It's not something that you need to earn. It's not something that you have to ask yourself, am I worthy of? Love is a gift. And therefore, the relation between the divine and the human is like a mother to the baby in her very womb. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. And uh, actually, we're coming up to the holiday of Passover. And the holiday of Passover is literally the celebration of unconditional love, whereby God, so to speak, is going to break the rules to take us out of Egypt. You know, that's how much I love you. That's how much I'm committed to you. And um, we're in a world where, I don't know, love is uh, it's hard to find when it should be everywhere. But it goes back to the deluded self. We don't know who we are. And when I don't know who I am, I can't possibly know who you are. And when we don't know who we are, then we get into silly conflicts over things that aren't important. Because what matters is that I should think, speak, and act in ways that helps realize, to feel the real of how in the deepest depths we're actually one. Not one of the same, but one. So beautiful. You know, one of the customs is that you can have classes like this and the honor and the merit of a soul that's transitioned. So uh, a local rabbi came by and, and gave a class on Saturday night here. And he was talking about Passover and how, you know, the Jewish people left Egypt, which was slavery and and then they uh, received from Moses through God, you know, they brought them the laws of the Torah, right? And the rabbi was saying how 
that was the birth of the Jewish nation. And he said, and the question is, what does that mean? That's the birth of the nation. We already had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There were many Jews before this. So he says, so why do, why do we say that that was the birth? He says, because when, when a person has purpose and direction, that's really when they can be born. And so I wanted to ask you about this because in the work that, that I'm doing, I meet so many souls who are just craving, feeling that sense of purpose and direction. And when you're talking about love, you know, I think part of the problem is we are so self-absorbed and we forget that what we give away is what we get back. And I just had Dr. Phil on the podcast and uh, he said, my advice is whatever you feel empty of, whatever void is there, give it away. You know, if you feel you want more love in your life, give more love away. And I, I thought maybe we should talk about that idea of love as something we give and this direction of what the heck are we supposed to do with our time? And is it so that the more that we contribute, the more that we will feel this love? Well, you know, since we are part of this one soul and the emotional realization of that truth is the feeling of love. So whenever you give out love, you're simply living your truth. You're living who you are. You are as a soul and you cannot but be as a soul, a lover. You are a lover. And we also crave to be loved, but really it starts with loving yourself because the whole world could love you, but if you don't love yourself, you won't believe them. It's something that I realized long time ago that love is not a democratic vote. Self-esteem is not a democratic vote. You can get everybody and lobby everybody to say you're great, but there's only one vote that wins and that's your vote. If you don't think you're great, you won't care what anybody else thinks about you. And so we love ourselves when we genuinely love others because we're just being who we are. We're just lights of love. You know, so imagine you were a light bulb. When would you feel happy? When you're shining, when you're illuminating, when you're helping people see in the room that they're in and you're, you're just doing your thing and, Helping people just live better lives. That's the gift of love, you know, to help people feel better about what they're doing and feel more, you know, significant. Isn't that what we're all looking for is a feeling of significance and belonging. And so really, I think before we go to sleep, we should ask ourselves, what love did I give today? And it, it really isn't so hard. You know, we all have, probably all have our phones here. Make it your tradition, your ritual, that before you go to sleep, you send one kind note to somebody that will be surprised to get that note. You could start off by sending it to yourself. You'll probably be surprised to get that note. <laughs> But send a, it's just something so tiny. You know, sometimes we think that transformation is so big. But I believe in tiny tasks for transformation. And just that one act would bring so much light into your life. 
because you're being who you are. You're a lover. You're a giver. And so just don't leave the day without feeling you gave something to somebody. And a kind word costs nothing. We are all rich with kind words. We can all offer kind words. And so that's when we're just living the love by just giving out a kind word, a kind act. It really is simple. And the amazing thing is that when you release that love within your heart towards others, you'll feel the love towards yourself because you're being your best self. You're living your truth. It's so beautiful. And when we were at this dispensa week, we were looking at data, which just showed how just like a plant we've seen in the studies, plants respond when they're spoken to kindly. And that, of course, that's the same thing with people and that you can literally love another person into life, that love is medicine. And we need to live more in an open-hearted vibration and give that love and so I wanted to ask you two things. One is when you said you got to love yourself, because that's the only vote that matters. That makes sense. But I, I speak about this a lot on the podcast. And I had Dan Harris on the podcast, who used to be an anchor at ABC News. And he had a breakdown live on air. And he went into looking into meditation. And so he has a very famous platform now, 10% Happier. And he said that at the end of the day, he said, the thing that keeps us from happiness is shame. Like we don't love ourselves. There's a part of ourselves that we don't, we don't love. And when people hear you say, love yourself, what happens is we each know ourselves better than other people. We're like, yeah, but there's a part of me you don't know. I self-sabotage. I'm broken. So what do you say about that? And that, that shame that we carry around for the parts of ourselves we don't want to love and accept. Well, that is the opportunity for unconditional love. You see, unconditional love means that there are conditions that are challenging my love. And I'm going to love you anyways. That's when you really love somebody. When you love somebody because they're doing everything you're asking them to do, and they're just everything you ever dreamt they would be, that's easy. That's not the real maxing out of love. Loving a person is when you love them when you don't feel like loving them. Wow, that's really loving them. When you don't feel like saying a kind word to somebody, but you say it anyways. Wow, that is the power of love. And so we're, we're not willing to accept that we are human and that making mistakes and loving yourself nonetheless is the realization of love. If my kid did everything I wanted him to do and I loved him, well, sure, big deal. How much is that really the test of love? But when my son makes mistakes or when my son doesn't do what I ask him to do, I still love him. That doesn't mean I'm not going to let him know that what he's doing is wrong. You know, love doesn't mean that a person isn't held responsible. Of course, people should be held responsible. But holding you responsible has nothing to do with how I feel about you. I love you. And I did love you. And I still love you. And I will always love you, no matter who you are. And because I love you so much, I want to help you live the best version of yourself. 
But that's not a condition for me to love you because my love has no conditions. And so you can hate a person's thinking. I don't like your political ideas and I don't like the way you're acting, but I still love you. You know, and I believe that when you get more in touch with yourself, you won't act in ways that betray yourself. But but really, this is the test of love for yourself to look in the mirror and say, I don't need to be perfect for me to love me. I need to accept that, yes, I make mistakes. They don't want to make mistakes, but I do make mistakes. And so, you know, begin with yourself in the unconditional love. But as I mentioned, the way to love yourself is to love other people. Because when you're loving other people, you're just living your power. Because this is the most incredible power that you've been gifted, the power to love, the power to love unconditionally. And when you're able to see somebody that does something that you don't like, but you're able to distinguish between their behavior and who they are in their essence, and you still love them, you still speak them in a kind way, and you still give them the benefit of the doubt, you're going to love yourself because you're living your truth. You're living your greatness. You're living that peace of love that you are. It's so true. And that was one of the most beautiful things I've heard you say, which is that's the most incredible power that we have to, to love. So we should do that. And I wanted you to just explain the word for love in Hebrew, because I think people think love is like a, it's just a feeling you could have for someone. But I think there's more of an active part of it. Well, you know, when it says in the Torah, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not commanding a feeling. I can't command a feeling. It's an action. And whether that action generates a feeling or not, the action is love. Think about a person in a loving way. Speak to them in a loving way. Act towards them in a loving way. Whether you feel like it or not, I think we've been convinced that love is a feeling. But love is an action, which generally will generate a feeling. But if it doesn't generate the feeling, okay, fine. So not yet. Still act in a loving way. And that's what we need to do. And that's in our control. Choose to act in a loving way. Choose to speak in a loving way. You're in a difficult situation. Turn to God and say, love almighty. What should I do in this situation? And that's who I suggest you talk, not to the universe, talk to love almighty and say, oh, love almighty. What are the words I should say to this person? How should I respond to what they did? Because I always wanted to be rooted from a place of knowing that in the deepest depths, me and this person as souls are one, not one of the same, but we are one. Yesterday, we were having this conversation and Lowell said, I wish that instead of it being a leap of faith, that the way that God designed the system is that I would know for certain that my mom was met at the gates by her mother and, and the handoff was, you know, it was so clear and so certain. And so we were having this conversation about that and about how there are moments where it feels like there needs to be a leap of faith or that God is hidden. And I was saying, you know, I wonder if that's all part of the design. Cause like, how would you, 
rely on something bigger than yourself. If everything was so obvious and certain, you wouldn't ever need to surrender or trust or any of that. But Lowell said, yeah, but wouldn't it be nice? I mean, like he could have designed that he, she, it could have designed this anyway. And, you know, we, we could have literally walked my mom up to some dimension and then seen the hands of my grandparents picking her up to the. And so I thought, what an amazing question. And how do you um, deal with that question of, you know, why are things sometimes hidden and that we need to have a leap of faith and that we can't necessarily have the certainty um, that we wish we could have about God and the afterlife and all of those things? And there's a number of things that come to my mind. Uh, first of all, I don't call it a leap of faith. I would call it a skip of love because the real test of love is when I don't know everything but I love you nonetheless, because that's the choice I'm going to give. That's the choice I'm going to make. If everything's clear, then when do I get a chance to demonstrate unconditional love? When things aren't clear, or maybe things even look in a way that I don't like the way they look, but I'm going to act from a place of love no matter what. And I think, I think we're all sure that love is real. And if God is love, well, then, then we know God. And that's what the Torah says. The Torah says that God is Yud Kei which is Rachamim, which is unconditional love. God is love almighty. And love almighty means that even when I have questions, even when I have doubts, I'm going to choose to act in a loving way. And that should always be my North Star which is what is the way to show true love? Now, it's important to understand that sometimes true love is to judge a person. They need to be judged. They need to understand that their behavior hurt me, and I won't accept that. I still love you, but I won't allow you to talk to me that way. That's also love. So sometimes people have a confusion that love means wishy-washy and everything's okay. When you really love somebody, like, you know, your children – then because I love them, I'm very aware of the behavior that they have that is self-destructive and is self-betrayal. And as an act of love, I need to maybe, you know, let them know there's consequences to that behavior. But it only comes from a place of love, not from a place of anger, not from a place of you, you offended my authority. It's just I love you and I want the best for you. And so if it was also clear when would we be able to do the real most powerful thing to do, which is to choose to love, even when I have doubts, even when I'm in pain, I'm going to still choose to love. There's a lot here. And this is such a powerful thing. And we were talking about yesterday, you know, Lowell was saying, yeah, but why is this not, this isn't what we're being taught, right? This isn't on every cereal box. This isn't on every billboard. There's, there's something about this that you have to kind of like dig to find it. Even though really, if you just drop in, you could feel it in every second. And Lowell was saying, why is it like that? You know, why is this not what's on every channel, every teacher, every, every place you go, how come they don't speak this way? Why is it? There's so many illusions that people are taught, you know, grow up, just the, the amount of um, 
falsehood in the world is so intense that he was saying, why is it not so obvious from, from everybody, everywhere you go? Whoa. Yeah. Well, sounds like we have to do a whole other hour to do that. You know, some questions get an answer. Some questions get a class and some questions get a course. Now, this is like a series over here. But I do believe that we all want to feel good about ourselves. And I do believe that the only way to feel good about yourself is to do good for others. And when you do good for others, you feel good about yourself. And I believe there's no better life than helping others have a better life. And that's what you, Kathy and Lowell, do. I love the Mark Twain quote that the best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer somebody else up. You know, it breaks my heart because people want to feel good. And so, so the media convinces us if I, if I own this, I'll feel good. If I wear this, I'll feel good. If these are the places I hang out with, I'll feel good. But really, if you want to feel good, then you do good. And if you want to feel loved, then love. And you say, well, but I love people, but they don't love me back. Don't worry. Because when you love people, you love yourself back. Because you know you're living what's worth living. And you're giving the greatest gift. And it starts with something so small. It doesn't have, this doesn't have to be huge. It's just start with a kind word. You know, I'm sure everybody, you know, you go to a supermarket, you probably see this cashier every day. Do you even know her name? Do you even say, hey, you know, what's your name? My name is, thanks so much. Have a great day. Right, what does it take? Nothing. A couple words could literally change a person's day. Wow. You know, just a couple words. Um, I thought it would be really beautiful. I want to share what you, the eulogy you wrote for your mom. This will take a minute, but I, I thought it would be nice to uh, sort of end things with this because I don't think Rabbi Aaron has heard this yet either. And Lowell wrote this eulogy for his mom and it kind of embodies so much of what we just talked about. So this is what he wrote. They say that we get to choose our parents. If that's the case, I did something right. When I think of my mom, I think of and feel her unconditional love. She was the best mom Jennifer and I could have ever asked for. She was also a great wife to my dad, a great sister to her sister, and a great daughter to her parents. I take great comfort knowing that they're all reunited together again. She was a private person, so not a lot of people were privileged to get into her inner world. My sister and I were honored to be let into that world. Every phase of my life, my mom was there for me, always supportive, always loving, and the person I credit most for my character, my work ethic, my parenting skills, and not least of all, my sense of humor. I still have vivid memories of my mom and her sister telling stories and jokes and making each other laugh so genuinely and so deeply, unlike anything I've ever heard from anyone before or since. Whether it was coming to school to tell an eighth grader who picked on me when I was in kindergarten or having a polite conversation with a teacher who wrongly disciplined me for something I didn't do, or even saying, what does he know about a law professor who gave me a bad grade? She was unquestioningly and unwaveringly my biggest advocate. Until I was in high school, she was a stay-at-home mom by choice because there was nothing she wanted to do more than be there for my sister and me. We knew that, we felt it, we appreciated it more than we could ever express. 
no matter what our achievements or failures, she would shep nachas, which means she would be proud of us and felt it. And we felt it and loved it and loved her for it. She didn't have an easy life, but she always tried to weather the storm and protect us from what was going on. She always wanted us to be able to be joyful, even as life threw challenges at her. When my dad passed away, I was only 13 years old. She stepped up to the plate. She took over the household in a way I quite frankly didn't know she was capable of. So much of my mom's time was spent studying, learning, and meditating in order to get close to God. Her unshakable faith in God, no matter what the circumstance, is a big part of her legacy that she so fortunately instilled in me and I hope to pass along to my kids. She loved my daughter so much, our daughters. Spending time with them and watching videos of them over and over gave her so much joy. She really understood their character and the sweetness they have. She was amazed at how smart and mature Gabrielle, our oldest, is and how our youngest, Madeline, is such a joyful person that was so happy to be a part of our family. Our middle daughter, Eliza, she has said had a special spiritual connection. Before I told the kids anything was wrong with my mom, even though nobody ever talked about death with her in any context, our middle daughter, Eliza, said to Kathy, daddy's mommy doesn't feel well, and that makes his heart sad, but that daddy shouldn't worry because when his mom passes away, God will be there to hug her and sit with her and play with her forever. And I think daddy's dad will take care of her. My mom has now returned to her source and is continuing along with God's plan for her. Her journey in this life, as we knew it, has come to an end, and I know that she is now where she's supposed to be. I miss her terribly already, and I don't think that will ever change. I'm going to miss daily conference calls with her and my sister. I'm going to miss her reminders for me to wear a jacket because it's cold. I'll even miss her calls telling me that the internet is down again, or as she would say it, I broke my computer. I will always carry her memory in my heart. And while I'm sad for the times I'll now miss sharing with her and the times my kids will miss sharing with her, I'm grateful for the time I had with her and that she got to know my wife, Kathy and the children. And one thing I know for sure, wherever she is, she will be in my corner fighting for me. Thank you, Sammy Lowell. You're unbelievable. Thank you for, for being here and helping with so many things I can't even begin to, to summarize. So thank you for everything. It's really incredible. She wound up being in, in, in Israel for her uh, funeral. And because of COVID, it's kind of a crazy situation. It's, it's hard to get there right now. And of course, uh, without missing a beat, even though she landed in Israel, later in the day. And so her burial was at 10 o'clock at night. Rabbi Aaron went out there to be with her on Lowell's behalf, on our behalf. And um, it's just incredible that kind of love and, and kindness that, that he would show to us. And I don't think she could have asked for a, a bigger superhero to escort her to her final transition into the next world. Rabbi, thank you for making the time to be thank with you. us. And um, guys, I finally did it because Rabbi Aaron is a holy, holy, holy person. And he lives in Israel and he's, he learns mysticism and he teaches. I said, I'm making you an Instagram account. I've had it. So I want you to do me a favor. Follow him. He's at, at Rabbi.Aaron. <laughs> Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It was an honor and a pleasure, and I'm very grateful to Kathy and Lowell and very grateful to all of you for allowing me to share. 
and your life should just be filled with blessings. You should know how loved you are and always and only loved you are. Thank you so much. That was such a special conversation. So here are the takeaways. Number one, you come into the world to play a part. When your soul leaves this world, you don't die. You're born. You were birthed out of your body. Number two, we are made of consciousness. On the deepest level, we're all connected to one self, one soul. Number three, only love is real. Love is the realization that we are one. Number four, love isn't something you deserve, earn, or ask if you're worthy of. Love is a gift. Number five, we're all rich with kind words. Send one kind note to somebody who will be surprised to receive it. Start by sending one to yourself. Number six, the power to love unconditionally is the most incredible power you've been gifted. When you release love in your heart towards another person, you'll feel the love towards yourself because you're being your best self. And number seven, there's no better life than helping others have a better life. Before I go further, I just want to say that we are doing a retreat Sunday, April 11th. Rabbi Aaron said that he will actually come and be a guest star at our retreat, which would be fantastic. Susie Moore is going to join us and Heidi Stevens will be there as well. We'll be doing breath work. We'll be doing journaling. We'll be doing some manifesting and we'll really be coming home to greater alignment with our highest vibration. It's called the Welcome Soul Retreat. If you want to get tickets, you can go to welcomesoul.com. It's going to be a virtual retreat Sunday, April 11th from 10 to 6. I would love to see you there. All right, now I'm going to announce today's giveaway winner. I'm doing giveaways every Monday and Thursday. If you want to be eligible to win some adorable hoodies and mugs, all you have to do is leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts or just go onto your Instagram stories and talk about this podcast, post about it, and tag me at kathy.heller so we can make sure that you are entered into the giveaway. Today's winner is jmoney4663. And this is what they wrote. I love Kathy Heller. I was searching for help creating a business. Little did I know that this podcast was so much more than how to start a business. Kathy is warm, insightful, and funny. I love listening to her voice and her ideas. Her content is so helpful to me personally and professionally. Thank you at Kathy.Heller for who you are. Thank you so much. Honestly, it means so much to me. And yeah, you know why this is more than starting a business? Because to me, this whole podcast is about doing your life's work. The reason I say don't keep your day job is so that instead of being busy doing something that doesn't light you up, that you don't feel is your calling, I want you to see a path for you to do your assignment in this world and yeah, get paid to do what you love so that you don't have to do anything else so that you can be doing that full time. And by the way, I don't take for granted for a second that you guys are here. I know how much you have on your plate. So thank you so much for listening. We have amazing episodes coming up. So many cool guests. So please subscribe. It's free to subscribe. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And remember to sign up for the virtual Welcome Soul Retreat on April 11th. You can go grab a spot at welcomesoul.com. Finally, I'm curious if this episode inspired you. If you can think of somebody who needs this episode, send it to them, text it to them, send an email, let them know that this is here because this actually might help. This might be something that sends them a feeling of love that they needed. So help us spread this message. If you do post about the episode, you can tag me at kathy.heller. So I'll repost and you can also tag Rabbi Aaron. He's at rabbi.aaron. I love you guys. I'll leave you with a song. And since we're doing daily episodes, I will talk to you tomorrow. 
The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. I don't want to fall. I don't want to break again. Can we skip this part? Go right to the end. Two old souls in love forever. Spend 60 happy years together. People will see us and believe. So this is love. Stop believing they'd find their missing parts So this'll be the love that heals a thousand hearts Love's a possibility When you walk through